Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you've been reading through the parashayot, the Torah portions, we are really in the central segment of Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis. And it's a fascinating area to read. Uh, Genesis is a foundational book for all of Scripture. And it's fascinating to read about the patriarchs. And this week's parasha, Chaye Sarah, uh, the life of Sarah, Sarah lived, this week's parasha brings to a close the life of Sarah. And as we go further into the parasha, we come to the close of the life of Avraham. And I want to focus to begin with on two verses that are found in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, Kaf Gimel, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. These first two verses of the parasha, Genesis 23 being the chapter we're referencing, to me they're quite captivating and actually really informative when you think about it. Here's what it says. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, although the death of Sarah is the main topic of these two verses, please notice, if you would, what it says about Abraham. It says... Two verbs, it uses two particular verbs, and my reference point here is the New King James Version. There are different ways to translate Hebrew, obviously. But two verbs or action words are, are noted concerning Abraham. It says Abraham mourned, and it says Abraham wept. I think you would agree with me those are descriptive verbs, mourned and wept. They're often united verbs. When that type of season comes in our lives, those two seem to come at the same time, mourning and weeping. So such verbs remind us, first of all, that Abraham was a real person, a normal person. Without going too far into it, he had emotions. I mean, sometimes we can read biblical characters about them and, and just, just totally mis, misunderstand them. They were real people. And in this case, we're allowed to see through these two verbs that Abraham was a real person. He mourned the death of his wife. Not only did he mourn Sarah's death, 
It says he wept. And I won't go through all the chronology of this, but he was fairly old at this time. And he'd spent quite a few years with his wife, and he mourned and he wept for her. And as I said, there can be a tendency to place some of the people we read in the Bible in neon lights, you know, emblazon them. And it's so interesting to me how the Scripture, really, if we read it clearly and we read it closely, it doesn't allow us to do that. Have you noticed how often the Scripture allows us to see the blemishes and warts of some of the great heroes? Abraham being one example. The Bible shows the reality of some of the, the major people we read about, you know, the, the sinners and the saints we read about in Scripture, the men and the women that we read about in Scripture, and also the heathen and the prophets that we read about in Scripture. And in fact, Jacob, James chapter 5, verse 17, seems to make a point of this in the Brit Hadashah. It says, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Elijah, was a man with a nature like ours. <laughs> if you remember the story of Eliyahu, not only did he have a nature like ours, but he sure knew how to run. And it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and then it has this phrase, and he prayed earnestly. Here in Yaakov chapter 5, James chapter 5, verse 17, the verb associated with Elijah is prayed. I mentioned that with Abraham and Bereshit, Kaf Gimel in Genesis chapter 23, two verbs that are associated with him, weeping and mourning. In this case with Elijah in the Brit Chalashah, it says he prayed, and then it gives us a description of how Elijah prayed. How did he pray? He prayed fervently. That challenges me, by the way. I hope it does you. What are your prayers like? Are they little bless me, lords? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But it, or is there some real part of you, some intercession in your prayers, imploring and pleading with God? And there's a, a place for both in life. But it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. I love this next statement. I'm glad it doesn't stop there. And of course, the narrative that we read about in Malachim tells us the whole story. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So this passage, besides encouraging us to pray fervently, and it says the word pray and fervently together, this passage in James seems to offer a simple yet profound point to us if we look deeper into it. The point is that God can transform and use ordinary people. You know, that makes each one of us, each one of us here listening to these words, it makes each one of us a potential candidate to be a servant of the Lord, to be used of him, and to touch other lives. 
Those who would be used of God, though, must conduct themselves according to God's principles. And not according to the ways, the ways of conduct that we encounter in this world, the passions of this world, the vices of the God of this world. No. Those who would be his servant must live according to his principles. And I don't know what your personal relationship with the Lord is, but it seems like that's the progressive side of this. That the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is continually challenging us to walk that straight and narrow path. Regardless of what others may be doing, to walk that path and follow the Lord. And to do it from a baseline within our own hearts of commitment to Him. You know, it's easy sometimes to think, oh, I'm much younger than Abraham was. Actually, everyone listening to these words, you're much younger than Abraham was when Sarah died. Much younger. Or to think about it and say, well, I don't have to deal with the things that Elijah had to deal with. In some ways, that is true. Because modern society, as we know, and we're living in it right now, 21st century America, 21st century Western culture, if you would, modern society does bring some unique set of, how do I say this kindly, blessings and challenges to us. Some unique set of blessings. I mean, for example, Abraham had to worry about his camels, We have to deal with cars. (laughs) Elijah weathered three and a half years of no rain. And certainly we here in the state of Oklahoma understand that. At times we deal with tornadoes and flash flooding and hail and other things. He weathered through those things and he was involved with praying for God's intervention climactically in that circumstance in Eretz Israel in the land of Israel. But whether back then or right now, kingdom principles remain absolutely the same. They haven't changed. The Lord is still holy. He was holy in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Eliyahu, and Elisha, and all the prophets. He's still holy today. The Lord is blameless, and he was blameless back then. He's good to all who trust in him. He was good to everyone who trusted him back then. Does not mean they didn't go through challenges. They did, and that's what Scripture relates to us. That's why it's important for us to have a daily devotional time to look at what Scripture says so that we can learn, we can glean, and be better equipped for this 21st century societal life that we experience right now. With its variables, you have your variables in your life. Your neighbor has his or her variables in their life. So when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, uh, what he wrote to him was sound advice. It's addressed to a young person, but it's sound advice for any age, anyone, at any time. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, said, let no one despise your youth, and this is the focus, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, 
in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example, he wrote. And he continued in verse 16 of the same chapter, continued with this thought. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, meaning the sound teaching. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. That gives us the sense that, you know, don't ever think you've arrived. We have not arrived. We're still passing through this world. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. And then there's this marvelous statement, in my opinion. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. To put it another way, you're going to have great eternal impact upon your own life and upon those that hear you, that watch you, observe you when you conduct yourself and continue walking in the way that the Lord has prescribed for you. He also said a similar word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He wrote to Timothy, who was an aspiring leader, flee also youthful lusts, but on one hand you flee, but pursue, you chase after, rodeth, you chase after, righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I wonder if he had Facebook in mind when he wrote this, and Twitter, and all that stuff. I'm not part of it, never have been, don't plan to be. But I hear so much of it, boy, you wouldn't believe what they posted on Facebook, and boy, you should read that feed. And I'm like, oh, you gavolt. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord, is that you today? Are you a servant of the Lord? If that's you, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Well, there's enough right there. Dianu must not quarrel. But it goes on and says, but be gentle. Are those two words in there? Be gentle to how many? Oh, you can accomplish the purposes of God with a spirit of gentleness. I mean, there's a time to assert. But be gentle to all. Be able to teach and that next word's in there too. Did you see it? Patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. In humility, not arrogance, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them what, and this is a great treasure, repentance. What a treasure. I've said many times, if we were not allowed to repent, we would continue unchanged. Please don't despise if the Lord convicts you about something and gently brings you to a place of repentance. Don't despise that. Be ye thankful. Be thankful. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, continuing in verse 25, so that they may know the truth. Scripture tells us they shall know the truth and the truth shall 
set them free, make them free. If you want real liberty, walk in truth. That's going to liberate you onto the Lord and into your daily life. And that they may come to their senses. Some people are not coming to their senses. That they may come to their senses and escape the what? The snare of the devil. Having been taken captive by him. And this next phrase is very significant. Taken captive by him to do his will. That's in contradistinction to doing whose will? The Lord's will. And I hope you're committed in your life to doing the Lord's will, to working that out, working out your salvation with fear and trembling before him, looking to him to energize you, to empower you to be able to do his will regardless of what anyone else does. Because ultimately, yes, we're one in Messiah, and it's so beautiful in our congregation, Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. But ultimately, we also stand before the Lord alone and answer to him. So when we think of Abraham and the traits that Scripture attributes to Abraham, and there are many, if you study the life of Abraham, there are many traits in Abraham's life that I believe we should emulate that are important for us. They're there for us. These things were written for our instruction. And that we can look to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to empower us to be able to walk in the way that we should. Here are some of the traits that I jotted down about Abraham. Your list may be different than mine, but it shows you what a varied person he was, how his nature was. Abraham was a person of trust, of faith. I mean, that's what we immediately link with Abraham is emunah, trust, faith. You know, he was open to change. He got instructions, lech lecha me'artsecha. You go out from your land, you know he was willing to change where he was going. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He left in obedience to the Lord's word. Abraham was a brave person. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble nor be afraid, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you shall go, is how Yehoshua was told by the Lord. In Yehoshua, Joshua chapter 1, Abraham was a brave person. He was even willing to travel to Canaan. With all the unknowns of that journey and all the inconveniences of it, all the possibilities. And some people have a mentality, the first thing they think about is the what ifs and all the bad stuff that could happen. If Abraham lived according to that, he might still be a door of Chaldees. But he was a brave person and he went forward to Canaan. Abraham was also a generous person. We see that in that he tithed to Melchizedek. He tithed to the Lord through Melchizedek, but also he allowed Lot, his nephew, he allowed Lot to choose where Lot wanted to go. You remember that in his life. You see a side of Abraham with that that's just beautiful. In preference, he preferred his nephew. And unfortunately, Lot, his nephew, chose Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was a good husband. We see that evidenced by his fruitful and his long-lasting relationship with Sarah. They had a very real relationship. Sarah laughed. <laughs> Abraham seemed to be always pleading about something, 
Can you spare that city? If there's 50 righteous, will you spare that city? But he was a good husband. And you know, he was willing to sacrifice. Bereshit Kafbet, Genesis chapter 22, tells us about the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. What a tremendous narrative that is. One way to read that is to put yourself into Abraham's shoes. Another way to read it, by the way, is to put yourself in Yitzhak and Isaac's shoes. <laughs> he was willing to sacrifice, even if it meant offering up his only son, his Ben Yachid, Yitzhak. Abraham, we're told in the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, Abraham had resurrection faith. He believed, he knew God's promises would not fail. And, and if he offered up Yitzhak, Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. That's a resurrection faith. Do you have resurrection faith? Do you believe that the Lord Yeshua has risen from the dead? He is Lord and he's coming back again? That's resurrection faith. And if that same spirit that dwelled in him dwells in you, he's going to quicken, make alive your mortal body. Count on it. It will happen. The Bible says ultimately, and there are many more descriptives that we could say about Abraham, but the Bible ultimately says that Abraham was a friend of God. I think it's pretty neat that it mentions that both in the Tanakh and in the Brit Hadashah, that Abraham was a friend of God. And we too, though, through faith in Messiah Yeshua, we can enjoy an exciting and a fulfilling relationship with the God of this universe through Yeshua, through the way, Yeshua, the Messiah. And all who would learn of Yeshua, who would, in a sense, as the, the Matatiao of Matthew and the gospel said, that would take his yoke upon them. And I hope that includes you today. All who would learn of him and see him and emulate Yeshua, the Messiah, can have a deep relationship with the master of the universe. We could use the term as Yeshua did. We could have a friendship in the right way, a friendship with him. That's the word Yeshua actually used, as I'm sure you're aware. He used that to describe that relationship between him and those who are his faithful Talmudim. Underline the word faithful. I wonder how Yeshua's voice sounded. And I was pondering this, and I've pondered this many times. Some of when I read Yeshua speaking in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant, and I read his words, I begin to think, and there's no way to answer it. But I begin to ponder, what did his eyes look like? What was his tone of voice? I was even thinking, did he make a hand motion? <laughs> did he move his hands? But I wonder how Yeshua's voice sounded when he said this to his Talmudim. In Yochanan, John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. I wonder what his eyes looked like as he looked at them. What tone of voice did he use? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you say it with me. 
Love one another as I have loved you. Boy, if that's all that we ever read in the scripture, that's a life full of service and learning and growth. Then he continued, and again, I wonder how his eyes were. He knew what was about to happen to him, and he knew that he was innocent. He knew that he was laying down his life for you and me. And anyone who would trust in him, in his righteousness, he continued, he said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. I wonder what his voice sounded like. I wondered, did he get tears in his eyes? I wonder if John at that time just wanted to put his head on Yeshua's bosom. You are my friends. You are my friends, though, if you do whatever I command you, because a real friend for Yeshua isn't out doing their own thing. They're about his business, pleasing him. So I trust you noticed the final thought. I emphasized it somewhat. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The depth of our personal relationship, and I think this is a key point, the depth of our, pers- the depth of our personal relationship with Yeshua hinges on his willingness to receive us and our willingness to obey him. Those are hinge points. He is willing to receive us. In fact, he's willing to receive you. If anyone comes to him, he's not going to cast you away. So then the equation switches, the the issue switches, the fulcrum becomes, since he's willing to receive us, are we willing to obey him? There's the rubber meets the road point. Yeshua's friends are those who really obey him. And many claim to have this special relationship with Yeshua. But can I say this kindly, but are quite weak when it comes to the obedience part of the equation. And many nowadays say, I'm I'm really close to the Lord, I love the Lord and all that, but are they really doing what the Lord said? Are they following through? I'm not their judge, but I know this. I know what Yeshua said. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. There's commitment connected to that. Willingness connected to that. Sacrifice connected to that. Putting aside your own druthers, your own will, your own desires, and taking his yoke upon you. First Yochanan, First John chapter 2, verse 15 says... These verses, I think, are very powerful. You probably know these by heart, but they are written, if you notice initially, verse 15, 1 Yohanan, 1 John chapter 2, they're written in the imperative sense. You see what it says? It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And I think you can see the contrast between what Yeshua said and talking about loving one another and also the same word love used here and said, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then it goes even further, and it's powerful. It's an immutable principle, by the way. You can't talk God out of this. 
It's reality. It's eternal reality. It's spiritual reality. If anyone loves the world, will you say the next phrase with me, please? The love of the Father is not in him. That's powerful. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all that is in the world is not of the Father, but it's of this world. And the world is passing away. It's temporal. And the lust of it, temporal. But please read the next statement with me. Let's read it together. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Does anyone except me challenged by that idea? I am. It says, are you really doing the will of God? Or are you just applying his name to it? Are you really doing the will of God? So to conclude this message today, I want us to please go back to Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, Kaf Gimel, chapter 23. And as I mentioned, this chapter began with two verbs that were connected to Abraham. They're somewhat unusual because we see this man of faith, but then it says he was weeping and he was mourning. And using the New King James Version as a baseline, you can use whichever translation you desire. Using as a baseline, in Genesis chapter 23, in this chapter there are six more verbs or action words connected to Abraham. Those are six more apart from weeping and mourning, so there's at least eight connected to Abraham in Genesis chapter 23. That tells us about him. Action words are things that people do. Verbs describe actions. And they're used in this case, these two plus six, they're used to describe Abraham's actions at what we would agree was a particularly tender moment for him, the death of his wife. After years of being together. And all the struggles they went through. And these eight verbs come up in chapter 23. Weeping and mourning are the first two. And we're not going to hear verbs like Abraham went out and got drunk to drink away his sorrows. We're not going to read or notice verbs that says Abraham had a pity party and sang woe is me to the tune of, you know, whatever. Havanagila. It doesn't say Abraham went out and got high. It doesn't say he went out and fornicated. It doesn't say he made excuses for himself. It doesn't say he raised his heart or his fist towards God. Not once. In the middle of his deepest sorrow. Rather, we encounter verbs in Genesis chapter 23 that show just how human Yet, beyond reproach, Abraham actually was. You know, he was the friend of God. Even during his pain, he was the friend of God. And how he dealt wisely during this toughest, arguably one of the toughest, if not the toughest time of his life. The loss ever so many years of his precious wife, his Sarah, his princess. 
And he didn't languish in self-pity. He didn't get the spirit of self-destruction or woe is me, none of that. So here are the six verbs that are used in Genesis 23 besides weeping and mourning that are used in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 and 7, it says, Abraham stood up before others. In this case, they were non-Hebrews. He interacted rather than reacted. He stood up among them. In verses 3, 8, and 13, it says, Abraham spoke, and he said, so he communicated. Actually, if we're going to describe communication, we would have to use the term wisely, because that's exactly what he did in the midst of his weeping, mourning, and sorrow. In verses 7 and 12, it says, Abraham bowed in humility. Can you imagine this aged man bowing down? And it says it more than once. Some of it was customary, but he bowed in humility, and he bowed down before the people of the land who were the sons of Het. And in verse 16, it says, Vayishma Avraham. It says, Abraham listened. He listened. And also in verse 16, it says, Abraham weighed out the silver to pay for the cave of Machpelah. That which would become not only the burial place of Sarah, but also Abraham, Yitzhak, Rivka, Yaakov, and Leah. The burial place of Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. That's in Israel today, in Hebron, Hebron. I have to admit, it's one of my favorite places to go. I just, when I go there, I like to daven, I like to pray, I like to, it's just a, a, a holy place, special place. And in verse 17 of chapter 23, the last verb that's connected to Abraham is, connects us back to the first two verses. In verse 17, using the New King James Version as our baseline, the last verb that's connected to Abraham is buried. He started out weeping and mourning for Sarah. He went through all that we read of in chapter 23. We will discuss this in Shabbaton. Went through all that he went through, and he finally accomplished the purpose of burying his wife. It seems that despite what Abraham was feeling at the time, and you can just imagine how he felt, some of us have lost loved ones that are dear to us, spouses, family members. And despite what he was feeling or how he was hurting and how he was suffering at this time or, or his own sense of loss that just had to be upon him and everything else that he was going through, Abraham still fulfilled his duty or better yet, his responsibility even at his advanced age, he did what was right despite his inner pain. Friends, we all go through periods of suffering. Be sure you do what's right during that time. Don't use it as an excuse to put in action some of the verbs that we don't find describing Abraham. 
There's a great, great lesson for us in all this, and I'll conclude here in a moment. It's a great lesson for us, friends. Don't shrink from your responsibilities. Don't shirk them. Live life in a reasonable and in a wise manner. Keep your eyes on the Lord in the midst of all you go through. He, he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your eyes on him. Life does have its hard times. And maybe you're hearing these words and you're going through a hard time right now. Look to the Lord. Let him be your sufficiency. Look to the Lord. Let him be your provision. Look to the Lord. Let him be your yoetz, your counselor, your guide, the one that guides your life. Because there is a way that seems right unto a man or a woman. But the end thereof is not life. It's mavet, death. Keep yielding to him. Keep obeying his precepts. Keep living according to the life-giving power, the Ruach HaKodesh. And if you feel like you lack the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, ask. Ask him to give you a deepening measure of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I want to present this question to you. How many of you have asked the Holy Spirit to fill you more? That's an important question. You have not because you ask not. So we each could find our reasons to not be responsible, well, of course, especially in a time of struggle. You know, statements like, well, I don't feel like it. How many times have I heard that one? This thought like, someone else will do it, why should I have to? And if I wait it out long enough, someone will do it and I don't have to. It's not that important. That's another one. You know, in the kingdom of God, even little things are important. Because if you're faithful with the little things, you will be faithful with the greater. By the way, if you're not faithful with the little things, and by the way, money is at the lowest. If you're not faithful with the little things, you're not going to be faithful with the greatest. Others say... Zelo fair. It's not fair. It's unfair. Why do I have to do it? And many other statements, maybe you've used some of them concerning responsibilities in your life. I would ask you to turn from that direction and man up and woman up and do what you're supposed to do in the sight of God. Those who are spiritual descendants of Abraham uphold their responsibilities. Abraham did to his death. They don't live in the realm of excuses. You don't find that in Abraham's life. He didn't exonerate himself from everything. He lived right up to it. And they give their attention like Abraham did to obeying God, following God, obeying his words, listening to his voice, building his kingdom, doing what's right in his sight, fulfilling his purpose for their life. When God said, lech lecha, it was Abraham that did the lecking. So we briefly today looked at the actions that are associated with Abraham at a most difficult time, these eight verbs, depending on your translation, these eight verbs that are associated with Abraham at his difficult time, the loss of his wife. And as we've considered the action words or verbs that are associated with Abraham in Genesis chapter 23, 
That brings me to one final question for each of us here today. For us to consider one more question. Which verbs are connected to your life? Which verbs are connected to your life? Are you a worshiper? Are you one who mourns with those who mourn and rejoices with those who rejoice? Are you a prayer? Is prayer a real part of your life or just a theological premise? Do you actually do it? Pray, or do you talk it? Theologize it? Are you one who's willing to humble yourself, especially if you've made a mistake? Most of all, to the living God. He already knows everything already. There's something healthy about us acknowledging our faults. Are you willing to do that? Are you a tither as Abraham was? How interesting that he tithed before the Torah was even given, before the Ten Commandments were given, before Sefer Vayikra was given. He was a tither, as was Jacob. Are you one who stands up for the Lord in the midst of your own sons of Chet in your life, as Abraham did in Genesis 23? Or are you one who takes responsibility for your life before the Lord that includes your words and your actions? What verbs are associated with your life? And most importantly, and this is my final thought here, are you one who loves Yeshua and shows that love by obeying him? Does that describe you? Only you know which are the verbs of your life. Only you know those. Others see some evidences. It may be time to get rid of some of the verbs that shouldn't be in your life. Get rid of them. Scripture calls it the chametz, the leaven. Get rid of that leaven. Be a new lump, as Rav Shaul said. It's time maybe to trust the Ruach HaKodesh more for his empowerment, to ask him to help you, rather than going immediately to human beings, go to him first. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me. Friends, every day, in every circumstance, we display the verbs of our lives. Some are seen openly. You can write yours down, see what describes you, but it's an interesting exercise to get someone that knows you well to write the verbs they see. <laughs> Your list and their list may not match, <laughs> if they're honest. But I want to leave you with the last verb. The last verb. And to leave you with this last verb, I'm going to quote Yeshua. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this Shabbat. How great you are. How marvelous are your ways as we sang previously. We look to you. We ask you for help.
You know our circumstances, our situation. You know our strengths. You know our weaknesses, the areas we falter in. Lord, I pray that you would lead us forward from this Shabbat forward into new depths of relationship with you. I pray for all this congregation, Lord, for all of us. We know that we live in the last days and we know, O Lord, that you are the king and you're coming soon. I ask you to bless those right now that are in tough circumstances to help, O Lord, those who are facing mountains that seem insurmountable in their life. Lord, nothing is too difficult for you. I ask you to help those that are despondent, mourning, in self-pity, Lord. You are the joy of our life. I ask you, Lord, to especially use us in the places that we go, that we would be ambassadors for you, that the verbs activated in our lives, seen by others, would be those that glorify you. Thank you, Lord. I ask these things according to the merit of Yeshua, and I know that you do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything we can imagine, according to the power of your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit that works within your people. Beshem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.